Thank you, Pastor Tim, for that prayer supplication. And thank you all for being here this morning and participating in our worship gathering. Let me just offer just as an addendum to the prayer list, and I didn't have an opportunity to get to Pastor Tim just prior to the prayer supplication, but we have Sister Retha Steed on our prayer list. Um, But it was brought to my attention prior to the worship gathering that she fell at home down the stairs and uh, sustained some injuries, um, went to the hospital, was treated, released, is at home, uh, no doubt battered, bruised, shaken up, um, and certainly want to be praying for Retha um, and uh, praying for a quick recovery for her. I invite you this morning, if you will, turn in your Bibles to Colossians, Paul's letter to the church at Colossae as we look at chapter 3, just a few verses there, and... um, and as we do, we're talking about Christians, followers of Christ. And, you know, in this Western culture and in the church today in these modern times, you know, the term Christian is used quite loosely from the media to political campaigns to wherever. A lot of people are wearing that label Christian like they would political parties or affiliations with social or charitable organizations or, or what have you. But... I think it's important that we realize that unfortunately, truthfully, not everybody calling themselves a Christian truly is a disciple of Jesus Christ, a follower of Christ. And with that in mind, you know, I'd like for us to just stop for just a moment and and just consider the difference. You know, there are people who are nominal Christians who are loosely associated with Christ, the church. And, and if you ask them if they are a Christian, they'll say, yes, I'm a Christian. But you know, Jesus makes a distinction between those who are superficial and those who are authentic. I think about the passage in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, verse 21, where the Lord says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And in Luke's Gospel, in chapter 6, he goes on to say, Not everyone who says to me, you know, Lord, Lord, shall be in the kingdom of God. And so, you know, there is a distinction between those who are nominal Christians and by name only and those who are true followers of Christ. I I think of nominal Christians being the byproduct, unfortunately, of mass evangelism and and easy believism, uh, being the product of faulty church doctrine and, and also lack of biblical discipleship. And there are a lot of people that are walking around with with false assurance, thinking that they are uh, indeed a follower of Christ, and they're not. Whereas the Bible is so clear that a Christ follower is a genuine disciple of Jesus Christ. A Christ follower is someone that God in His sovereignty and, and providence before the dawn of time chose to be a part of His eternal kingdom. Uh, a Christ follower is someone that God has sent His Holy Spirit to convict them of what the Bible says about the sinfulness of their life. They, they get it. They, they, it has been revealed to them by the Spirit of God through His Word. As Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Spirit has revealed to a Christ follower that the penalty of sin is eternal separation from God for eternity. And, and not only that, a, a Christ follower understands, they get it in John 3.16 when it talks about, For God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son, 
that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. They, they get that. It's a reality. The Spirit of God reveals that mystery to them and they fully accept it. And a Christ follower is someone that the Spirit of God has convicted in their heart that yes, I am a sinner. I understand the penalty of sin. I understand the love and grace of God that He sent His only Son to die on a cross for my sin. And I also understand that I must confess my sin. I must come humbly, broken before God, to say, yes, oh God, I am a sinner. I have violated your holy biblical standards. I am subject to your wrath. Oh God, I confess my sins. But then a Christ follower goes a step further. A Christ follower by the inspiration of the Spirit of God and the conviction of the Spirit of God and the teaching and the leading of the Word of God repents. They turn their back on the sin. It's an active decision. It's not just in your head decide, oh yeah, I, I, I believe in Jesus. I believe He was who He was. and yeah, I, I, I get that. No, repentance is actively turning your back on your sinful flesh nature, on the sinful world around us, and the sinful influences around you, and turning 180 degrees towards Christ, and making the deliberate decision to put the world self sin behind you and to pursue Christ. But then a Christ follower doesn't stop there. Because the Spirit of God reminds them that Jesus said in Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, verse 23, If any man come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. Folks, that's not just for preachers. That passage of Scripture is not just for apostles and missionaries. It's for every follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. A Christ follower is someone who understands and accepts the, the gravity of what Jesus said in Luke's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 26 and 27, when He says, If anyone come to Me and hate not his father and his mother and his brothers and his sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be My disciple. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow Me cannot be My disciple. A Christ follower fully accepts and, and incorporates into their lifestyle the fact that the Bible says, Jesus said, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 33, so likewise, unless you forsake all that you have, you cannot be My disciple. So you understand, there is a vast difference between nominal Christians who will nod their head towards Christ and Christianity, but they don't get it. And there's a reason they don't get it. It's because... It hasn't been spiritually revealed to them. And so when Paul is writing this letter to the church at Colossae, I dare say he's writing to people who you could qualify as Christ followers. As I preach this message this morning, I want you as Christ followers to listen to what Paul says about who we are. And if you're here today and you're a nominal Christian, and you usually can pick out a nominal Christian, they, they are people that, like I said, in a pinch, if somebody says, hey, you're a Christian? Oh, yeah, yeah. Where do you go to church? Well, you know, I'm not into that church thing. What are you reading in the Bible? Well, you know, I, that Bible's so hard to understand. I just don't hardly, yeah, 
How often do you pray? Well, you know, yeah, well, I go home to my parents, we usually ask a blessing. Oh. If you're a nominal Christian here today, or a person who acknowledges Jesus only in your mind, and you're not a sincere follower of Christ, pray that God would be choosing you. Pray that God would have His eye on you and open your spiritual eyes to see the truth and begin to lead you on a path towards genuine salvation. As we look at this portion of the, the, the letter, Paul's epistle to the church at Colossae, it's interesting because Paul follows a, a pattern. In most of his epistles, he will usually begin by laying some theological doctrinal groundwork. And then upon that foundation, he will build practical teachings on how to live. So really, in the first two chapters of Colossians, the Apostle Paul is laying some doctrine primarily focused upon Christ. Who Jesus Christ is as the Son of God. And His role as a member of the Blessed Holy Trinity. Paul also in those first two chapters speaks about the incarnation of Christ. The fact that He is fully God and fully man. In, in Colossians 2.9 Paul says, for in, him, for in Him Christ dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So he talks about the, the, the deity of Christ and yet the humanity of Christ. But also Paul is laying the foundation to help you and I understand that this Jesus Christ is preeminent. He is high and lifted up. Oh, sure, he came as a humble child born into a virgin in, in, in a stable. Sure, he was a humble teacher who went about teaching great things. And sure, he, he was a man who, who was beaten and crucified and died. But, but don't make the mistake of thinking that all he was was a glorified teacher because he is Christ. He is the Christ, He is preeminent. Paul teaches in those first two chapters that Jesus Christ is preeminent in creation. He's the Creator. Jesus Christ is preeminent in redemption. He is the Redeemer. Jesus Christ is preeminent in the church. He is the head of the body of Christ. Oh, listen, what Paul is wanting these early believers to understand and to incorporate into their lives is that Jesus Christ must be preeminent in the lives of all of us who are followers of Christ. So I ask you, in your daily, day-to-day, getting about, living, where is Jesus Christ? Where does He rank? Honestly, truthfully, not an answer that you might just give to the preacher offhand. What would you say to God about where Jesus ranks in importance and preeminence in your life? Well, as Paul is teaching this, we jump over to chapter 3 because this is where the practical teachings actually begin. And, and looking at verse 1, I want you first of all to see what I call the position of the Christ follower. You gotta, to, to, uh, to appreciate who you are, you've got to understand where, where you are in relation to... Christ and, 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 and the world and, and, and the kingdom. And in order to live the life of a disciple of Christ, you and I must first see ourselves as the Bible sees us. Not as man's religion would teach us or man's vain philosophies would have us to believe. But look at yourself how the Bible describes our position as followers of Christ. Number one, we're in the world, but not of the world. As, as Christ followers, 
We are in the world, but not of the world. We're not some mysterious, mystical religion that believes that we don't really exist, but we're just kind of spirits here in this fathom of a body of what... No. We're here. Okay? You're here. You're in the world. But the distinction is you're not of the world. Remember that beautiful pastoral prayer that Jesus prayed? I consider it to be the Lord's Prayer, John 17. Where Jesus is praying there in John chapter four, uh, 17 and verse 14. His disciples are gathered around Him. They're, they're listening in as He's talking to the Father about them. About God the Father, God the Son, but also about Christ's followers. Look what Jesus said in John's Gospel, chapter 17, verse 14. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. You see what Jesus is saying there? They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews in chapter 11 in that great hall of faith chapter. Listen to what he says in, in Hebrews 11 verse 13. Talking about the saints of old. They got it. I mean Enoch, Noah, Moses, Abraham. They got it. They understood they were in the world, but not of this world. Listen to what the, the writer of Hebrews says in verse 13, chapter 11. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them from afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were, listen, strangers and pilgrims on the earth. The Old Testament saints understood they don't belong to this world. They're passing through. This is not their home. They realize off in the distance and the divine promises of God was where their, their home was and where they would be at home and where they would totally begin to flourish, but they were simply passing through. Isn't this something like what the Apostle Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2? As he's writing to those early Christians, many of them undergoing horrific persecution because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And Peter's helping them to understand there in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. He said, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims. You're just passing through. Don't get too attached to this world. Don't see your identity just in the things of this world. Understand, Christ follower, that you're just passing through. You have a home. You have a destination. It's called heaven. And that's what Paul is reminding the church of there. Colossae, look at verse 1 of chapter 3. If then you were raised with Christ. And look at verse 3. I want to jump down to that. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You see, as followers of Jesus Christ... We are citizens of heaven. Past tense. You live in this world, but your citizenship, even right now, from the day that you prayed to receive Jesus Christ and made a commitment to follow Him by faith, you were automatically given citizenship in heaven. And yet we are citizens of heaven with an earthly mission. And that is given to us in Matthew chapter 
28, verse 19, when Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you. Jesus says, yes, you're in this world. Don't, don't mistake the fact that you are here. You are here for a purpose. And your purpose is to make disciples. Your purpose is to glorify God. Your purpose is very similar to my purpose, Jesus says. And my purpose is to glorify the Father who sent me to do His will. Guess what, Christ followers? That is our purpose in this life. Our lives reflect the holiness of heaven and our union with Christ. And that's what sets us apart. It's not what we do. It's not man-made religion that defines us. It's not asceticism. It's not man's philosophies. It's not self-abasement, Paul taught. But it's the Holy Spirit living in us. And as Paul has indicated in in verse 1 and there in verse 3, we, our position is in Christ. We have died with and we are risen with Christ. Jesus Christ. If you just back up into chapter 2, just let me refresh out of that chapter where Paul is teaching, help you to understand what he's saying there. Look at chapter 2 there in Colossians, verse 11. He says, In Him, speaking of Christ, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. In other words, this is not to be confused with the physical circumcision of the Jews. By putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, Buried with Him in baptism, in which you also were raised with Him through faith in the working of God who raised Him from the dead. So you understand, we are in Christ raised as He was raised. When, we, when He died because of our association with Him, because of our bond with Him, it is as if we died. Listen to what Paul said in Romans in chapter 6 and verse 3 and 4. He says... Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized unto his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God, even so we also should walk in newness of faith. Paul's telling us we are in Christ by faith. Listen, when Jesus was on the cross and he died on the cross and he experienced that horrific, agonizing death on the cross, listen, he wasn't on that cross for his sins. If he was hanging on the cross for his sins, it was all for naught. But Paul says, you are in Christ by faith. So that on the cross, Christ was dying for you. You were dying, but Christ in your stead and by faith. You were on that cross if you truly are a follower of Christ. You see yourself on that cross. He experienced the agony that you should have experienced, the humiliation that you and I should have experienced. And then when He died and suffered the awful burden of the weight of the wrath of God, that was you. That was me. But He did it in our stead as His lifeless body lay in that tomb One night, another day, another night. Listen, for three days as his lifeless body lay in that cold, empty tomb without any semblance of life or hope, that was you. That's who you and I are if we leave this world without the confidence of knowing that we are a follower of Christ. 
And then, hallelujah, on the third day when Jesus Christ came forth, the stone rolled away in the power and the glory of God by faith. That was you. That was me. I know sometimes it's hard for us to wrap our minds around this very concept. But that's the idea Paul is sharing here. Now, if you're a science fiction fan like I am, it probably wouldn't be quite as strange because I'm used to these you know, sci-fi space shows where we are doing tra- time travel and time warp, how you can live in two dimensions at one time. And those of you may recall this comedy movie that was on years ago, and they've done several sequels of it with Michael J. Fox, Return to the Future or Back to the Future. You know, the whole idea is you can, you can warp back into another time period and be there, but be here. And, you know, and that's mind-bending, but folks, it's a reality. As Christians, as followers of Christ, as God's children, we live in two dimensions. Lord willing, in a few weeks, in a couple of weeks, I'll begin a series on the subject of heaven. And I hope to, with God's help, please pray for me. Because you can understand the magnitude of just that doctrine. But with the help of some scholars, maybe be able to help shed light on how is that possible? So when I tell you by faith you were on the cross, by faith you died with Christ, by faith you were in the tomb, by faith you stepped, you did. Don't don't wrestle with it right now and try to figure it out, but the fact is, that is the Christian life. Paul said, you remember, Galatians 2.20, he says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the faith. In the flesh, he says, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Paul says, don't ask me to explain it. But I was crucified with Christ. I've been raised with Christ. Sure, I died, but now I'm alive. And the life I now live is because Christ is living in me. Guess what? Paul was no super Christian. The same phenomena that took place with the Apostle Paul has taken place in you if you are a genuine follower of Christ. And you know the evidence of it? Is His Spirit lives in you. And the Holy Spirit doesn't sit dormant until you go to heaven, ladies and gentlemen. The, the Holy Spirit bears fruit, fruit in your life, spiritual fruit on a regular basis. You wonder, why I, where does all that love come from? And peace and joy and patience and kindness. <laughs> you know, and goodness. Where, where does all that self-control and gentleness... I'll tell you where it comes from. It's not you. You don't manufacture it. It's the Spirit of God living in you. And when you find yourself bearing forth fruit, remember, you are in Christ and He is in you. Christ lives. He lives in the life of the Christ follower. That's what Jesus was teaching in John's Gospel, chapter 15. Jesus said in verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him. Jesus says, you won't just have a label, Christian. You just won't have a, a cross that says you're going to go to heaven. No, no, no. Jesus said, if you abide in me by faith and I in you, Jesus said, oh, listen, you're going to bear fruit. You're going to bear fruit for the kingdom of God. You're going to do things in your life that will please the Father, advance His kingdom, and bring glory to His holy name. Not you, but Christ in you. Jesus said, just hang on. And I'm going to make you so fruitful. And Jesus went on to say in verse 8 of that same chapter, herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. Then you'll know that you're one of my followers. So you see the connection there, being in Christ. Where is opposition? Opposition is in the world, but not of the world. Opposition is that we are in Christ and He is in us. 
We have died with Him. We have been resurrected with Him. He lives in us and we live in Him. We are here on this earth, but yet spiritually we are there in the presence of God. Go back and read chapter 1 of Ephesians and, and, and all this just, just blow your mind. Praise God. Amen. And this is the reality that Paul is helping the Christians to understand that. Listen, our union with Christ is absolutely essential to the life of a Christ follower. Now, if you're a nominal Christian and you're just a Christian in name only and you just go through the motions, let me tell you something, then none of this makes any sense and has very little relevance into your life. But for the Christ follower, you better believe this is something that ought to perk your ears, it ought to get your heart racing, it ought to make you think. Because it is the union, our union with Christ on a daily basis, not just on Sundays, not just Easter and Christmas, but every day you step out of bed to go into this world, understand that Christ in you and you in Christ is, is the very essence of what energizes you, it enables you, it empowers you, it encourages you. Listen, you don't want to live on the face of this earth without Christ. Amen? It's an absolute essential. So as we look at the position of the Christ follower, we also need to move on and, and, and look at what Paul is saying to those early Christians about the preoccupation of the Christ follower. What, what is it or who is it that preoccupies your thoughts? Your dreams, your visions, your mind. What is it that just constantly is at the forefront of your mind? You say, oh, don't, don't answer that trick question. Preacher's trying to trip us up again. Well, if I did, Jesus did. Because Jesus asked very much the same thing. Where's your treasure? Where's your treasure? Because where your treasure is where your heart is. What do you treasure most in this life? Is it your career? Is it your money? Is it your house? Is it your clothes? Your car? Is it your friends? Is it your family? Because I'm going to tell you something. If anything or anyone dares compete with the preeminence of Christ in your life, you have made a mistake. Because the preoccupation of the Christ follower is none other than Christ. We must live every day with heaven on our mind. Now I've heard some people say, well, they're Christians. <laughs> they're so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. That's not original with me. And granted, there might be some people out there that all they talk about is, man, I get to heaven. Hallelujah. When we all get to heaven, I'll have my wings and I eat all the angel food cake I want and just float around from cloud to cloud and just... No, no, no. You can be heavenly minded and still engage this world. You can be effective in ministry. You can be a powerful witness. You can be a dynamic dad or wonderful mom. You can be an excellent child. Well, close to excellent, I realize. Having gone through childhood myself, there are no perfect kids. But I guess there are no perfect parents too, right? This is usually where the kids will say, Amen. Okay? But the fact is, you know, the believer's whole disposition is oriented towards heaven. We continually look towards heaven. I like that song that the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir sings, Heaven on My Mind. It's, a, you know, it's, it's good. Every day of our lives we should think about heaven. Why not? That's our home. Why not? That's where our Lord and our Savior is. Why not? That's where the kingdom of God is most wonderfully and perfectly manifested. One day I'm going to be there. Why not have heaven on my mind every day? We should continually look towards heaven. 
Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of heaven and His righteousness. Don't be preoccupied about clothes and food and all of these things. He said, they'll be provided for you. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has worries of its own. How many of y'all worry about tomorrow? I didn't think you'd raise your hand, but you're already thinking about it. Now tomorrow i got to do that. <laughs> he said, suffice it for the day, it's its own trouble. Be heavenly minded, Jesus said. Seek first the kingdom of heaven. So when we continually focus our minds on heaven, our ultimate focus actually is on the Lord Himself. His divine qualities, His love, His mercy. Do you think about that? Do you think about the grace of God? Do you think about the power of God, the forgiveness of God? Do you think about His preeminence? Listen, do you reflect upon those things? We always seek the eternal while living for Christ in the temporal. I'm going to say that again. We always seek the eternal while living for Christ in the temporal. Don't ever, ever lose sight of heaven, dear friend. God help the follower who does. God help the child of God who allows problems of the world or the devil or temptation or whatever may come to get their mind off of or focused on heaven. Don't lose sight of heaven. Don't lose sight of home. Christ's disciples share the Lord's heavenly values. We're continuously reflecting the priorities of our Lord. That's why Paul in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Don't worry, Pastor Mark, I'm not going to steal your message from next Sunday. They're going to be moving into the book of Philippians. But, but, but in, in, I'll just say this. In chapter 2, verse 5, you know this verse. Where Paul says, let this mind be in you which was first in Christ Jesus have the mind of Christ. Listen, Christ followers that have their sights set on heaven, their minds reflect the thoughts of Jesus. You're thinking the thoughts of Jesus. The things that are priority to Him are priority for you. Heavenly values in the mind produce godly living here on the earth. And this comes as a result of undergoing that wonderful transformation of the mind that Paul talks about. In Romans in chapter 12, he talks to us, stop being conformed to this world. Christ followers, stop that trying to be like the world and be transformed, changed radically, dynamically, spiritually, divinely, changed through the renewing of your mind. Let the Spirit of God get inside of your thought life and absolutely change the way you think. And with the aid of scriptures that Christ followers able to do that, we're able to keep our thoughts aligned with those of the Lord. This is one sure way to protect our minds from being infiltrated by the lame thinking of this secular world in which we live, the poisonous philosophies of humanistic secularists. This is one sure way to keep us focused on the things of God. And not being so tainted by the media or this ungodly culture in which we find ourselves. Far too many people who call themselves God's people have allowed their sinful flesh or the wicked world around them to draw their focus away from heaven and the very divine one who died for them. Listen to what Paul says. He says here, set your mind on the things above and not on the things that are on earth. Do you see that? Paul says, if, or rather since, as it's better translated in verse 1, since then you were raised with Christ. 
Since your position is in Christ, seek those things which are above. Where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God the Father. And so often in the biblical writings we find that's exactly where Christ is. Even Stephen, as he was being stoned to death, he looked up into heaven and God gave him that wonderful vision right into the throne room of God and he saw Jesus Christ, the Son of God, standing at the right hand of God the Father. Paul says, set your sights on heaven. See where Jesus is at the right hand of God. He says, set your mind on things above and not on the things on the earth. Don't become preoccupied with this world. Or the things of this world, but be preoccupied with heaven, your eternal home, with Christ and the kingdom of God. And finally, as we look at verse 4, I'd like to submit to you the presentation of the Christ follower. After we looked at the position of the Christ follower and the preoccupation of the Christ follower, oh, here's the good stuff the presentation of the Christ follower. You're not what you will be. You say, ooh, that's profound. Well, Pastor Tim's the philosopher in the crowd. I'm just the lame thinker. But anyway, you're not what you're going to be. I know sometimes we older people, we wish we could be what we used to be. Especially as I'm bending down. And, you know, I got now young people where if I bend down to pick up something, I'll look around and see if there's anything else I can get while I'm down there. You know? <laughs> I'll be here at the church if somebody asks you if you believe in the hereafter I'll say I sure do I go down there in the basement and get down there I say now what am I hereafter <laughs> that's bad but anyway the presentation of the Christ follower we're going to be presented one day Oh, you, if you like Cinderella stories you're going to love what the Bible says is actually going to happen and Paul says it there in verse 4. He says, when Christ, who is our life. You know, I can't get over that. Jesus not only gives us life. Jesus not only points us to life. But do you understand the minute that you dedicate your life to following after Christ and you commit to be a follower of Christ, He is your life. There is no life apart from Christ. Everything that makes life Divine and wonderful and truly fulfilling is Christ. And that's what Paul is saying. I like that. Paul says, when Christ, who is our life, appears, and both, ladies and gentlemen, He's coming again. Don't you listen to the naysayers and the secularists out there. Jesus Christ is coming again. Just as sure as there was a first coming of the Son of God, there will be a second coming of the Son of God. And He won't be coming in meekness and mildness. He'll be coming in power and glory. And guess what? Not only will Jesus appear in power and glory, but we will be with Him. Authentic believers may be ignored and rejected by the world today. And we are. For the most part, if you're a sincere follower of Christ, a believer in the Bible, a, a, a disciple of Jesus Christ, for the most part, the secular world either ignores you or rejects you. The ungodly world out there sneers at us. The secular press ridicules us. And more and more, our government is distancing itself from us. Don't expect 
lost people to do any differently. They're only behaving the way they behave. They don't see you as a child of God. They don't see you as one who is a citizen of heaven and the earth. They don't see the dwelling of the Spirit within you. The reason they can't see, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2.14, he says that the natural man, those are lost people, the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God. For to them, it's foolishness. Neither can they know them because they're spiritually discerned. So don't, don't get upset, bent out of shape, because your secular, unsaved, unlost, or, or lost na- neighbors or family members, you, you know, make fun of you and poke at you and ignore you. and what ha- They're only doing what the world does. The same world that hated our Lord hates and rejects His people today. But don't be discouraged. Stay focused on your mission. Don't be distracted. Stay focused on the Lord and the things of heaven. Because in the second coming of our Lord, we will be revealed with Him in glory. Look what Paul says. When Christ who is our life appears, then also will appear with Him in glory. Then you will also appear with Him in glory. Did you get that? When Jesus comes again. And like I said, when Jesus comes again, He's coming in power and glory. He's coming in spectacular presentation of His, of His great divine power and sovereignty. Look what, how, how John describes that in the Revelation in chapter 19. You're very familiar with this, but listen to chapter 19, verse 11. This is Christ when He appears. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse... And he who sat on the hymn was called faithful and true. In righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. His name is called the Word of God. And listen, verse 14. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses, ladies and gentlemen. Brothers and sisters, that's you and me. We will come in glory with Him. We will be basking in the Shekinah glory of of Christ. We'll be right on His heels. And not only that, listen, the same world that will look up and they will see Jesus in all of His power and all of His glory, they will see you. And suddenly, all of a sudden, those who knew you in this life or knew about you will say, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's old Charlie Martin. Look at him. He's glowing like a light bulb. Look at him. He's got power. Look at him. He's got that white horse. That's cool, isn't it? Hey, look at him. He's, in, he's on Jesus' side. Look at him. He's dynamic and, and he's eternal. Look at that Charlie Martin. Isn't that glorious? We will come and we will be the ones who will represent just in our appearance with Christ on that great day, the glory of Christ, the joy, the victory that is our Lord's will be ours as well. But ironically and sadly and tragically, that same occasion, in contrast, for those who are outside of the kingdom of God, those who do not know Christ, who are not followers of Christ, that same moment for them will represent absolute eternal tragedy. Because shortly thereafter, every just to try to imagine this, every semblance of joy, every semblance of peace, every semblance of comfort and pride and hope vanished. Immediately they'll be cast 
into a horrific scenario of judgment, the wrath of God, not for a thousand years, not for a million years, ladies and gentlemen, forever and ever and ever and ever. What a contrast. In one moment, their lives will be drastically changed into pain and agony and suffering and darkness forever with no semblance of hope. And yet at the same time, here we are. Sure, we may have suffered in this life. Sure, we may have been ridiculed in this life. Sure, we may have had to suffer some persecution in this life. Even had to lose your life for the sake of Christ. Guess what? That will pale in comparison to the joy that you and I will experience in that moment of being with the Lord and being presented with Him. Oh, listen, life can be good in this life. Don't get me wrong. But you know what? It's like I heard this old country preacher. I could, I, could, I could identify. He was talking about when he'd go to, he was growing up on the farm and his mom was a terrific cook as was a lot of those farm ladies. My mom, my grandmothers were excellent cooks. And he said, we'd have this big scrumptious, you know, home-cooked meal, biscuits and everything. So mama would come around the table, start collecting our plates and silverware. Said she would say, save your fork. The best is yet to come. And of course, any country boy, country girl knew exactly what she's talking about. She's talking about that lemon meringue pie homemade. Or that fresh homemade coconut cake stacked as high as the Empire State Building. <laughs> or that homemade chocolate pie that just, just calls you like a beckon. Or that apple pie steaming. You ready for a plop of vanilla ice cream? Whew! <laughs> Save your fork! The best is yet to come, and it did. Man, you'd have to fight me with a, 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 a whole herd of buffalo and wildcats to get away, take my fork away from me. Because we knew the best was yet to come. That old country preacher says, Hey, look, folks, when I die and I get ready to leave this world, I've already told my family, bury me, put a fork in my coffin, put it right there in my hand. Because you see, when I leave this old world, I know. The best is yet to come. Oh, brothers and sisters, let me tell you something. Heaven is so real. And I hope that in the coming weeks as I have the opportunity to expound upon that subject, I hope that God will enable me to help you to see that and to appreciate that and incorporate that into the way you live. But my challenge to you, and I'm going to close with a song I mentioned earlier, and I'll ask the production team to help me with that. But just listen to the words and enjoy it. Live every day. Live every day. As a follower of Christ with heaven on your mind. And after that, Pastor Mark, if you'll come and close.